Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. Uh, We're going to read together our text today, our scripture text that we are going to be studying today. And we are continuing our series, Best Year Ever, where we are learning how to make this the best year ever. How? It's the best year ever when it's your best year spiritually. Not your best year financially, not your best year emotionally, relationally. We believe this is going to be the best year ever in your life because it's going to be your best year spiritually. Our text today, we've been walking through the book of what? Philippians, right. And we have been walking through that. We've been walking through chapter 1. And today our scriptures are verse number 20 through 26. So we're going to actually put that up and read that. And then, and then we're going to pray and then we're going to dive right in. A couple things about this, this right here, the context of this book. This is Paul. He's writing to a church he planted. These are people he loves. These are people he saw get saved. These are people that he has deep affection for. And he's actually in prison writing, writing this about 30 years after Jesus died. And the theme of this book is joy. It's kind of weird because his circumstances don't really shout joy, but he's saying, basically telling you can have joy no matter where you are because wherever you go, there you are. So if you have joy, you can have joy wherever you are in whatever circumstances you have. So, so this is a pastoral letter that Paul is writing here to a church he dearly loves. And we are in verse number 20 today, and this is what Paul says. He says, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be better by far for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, will you? you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. My sermon title today is called, You Can't Lose. You Can't Lose. We're gonna pray together. We're gonna pray a corporate prayer and prepare our hearts and minds to receive God's word today. It's gonna be on the screen behind me. Would you join in with me as we pray it today? Spirit of God, open up my ears to hear my eyes to see, my mind to understand, and my heart to discern what you want to speak to me today. You have my full attention. And everyone said, amen, amen. Lifehouse family, one more time. Can we just give Jesus some love today? Man, it is so good to be in church. Before you sit down, turn and greet somebody. Give them a Uh, I don't know, air high five, a COVID high five, whatever you're comfortable with, but just greet somebody and tell them that you are excited to see them today.
Well, good morning, LifeHouse family. Man, people decided to sleep in this morning, huh? I thought it was a little cold outside. They're like, we're coming to, to that second service. Or they're like, we're going to be online church today, right? Right, but you guys here, I'm so glad. And we are going to dive into God's word together today. Hey, really quick, we are, well, you know, we are doing our 21 days of prayer and fasting. How many of you signed up for that and are joining in with us on that? And we are just excited hearing about what God is doing as people are making room for God to fill them. If you still want to sign up for that, we still have time. We still got 14 days left, and you can do that right on the screen behind me. You should be able to see how you can join in. Whenever you sign up, you'll be sent daily text messages, emails, giving you content, inf- information. We'll send you our 21 days of prayer and fasting guide with daily devotionals and, pr- and prayer points. This is not just for people within our church. If you have friends or family that you would like to share this with, please do. And also, too, next Saturday, we are actually doing a citywide prayer gathering at Todd Stadium. This is going to be amazing. We're joining in with seven, eight other churches there. Right on the screen behind me, we're going to come together as pastors and community, and community leaders and pray over our, our cities within the 757. And so we would love for you to come out and join us. It's on Sunday from 2 p.m. till 3 p.m. I think that one hour is a lie. When you get eight pastors together to pray, and they've given us seven minutes each to talk, I'm, I'm like, seven minutes is just the introduction. Like, come on. But I'm going to try my best to, to do my seven, seven minutes. But uh, yeah, but at the same time, y'all, it would be just, just a great act if as many of you came out as, as possible so, so the community can see our church is unified the, we're not trying to be competitive. We're not trying to, to take over. But it's like we are the church. We're just not a church. We're the church. And so we would love for you to come out and join us next Saturday. So, but today, our, our, our sermon su- subject is, like I said, uh, you can't lose. You can't lose. So here's the thing. My goal today is to speak to the losing mentality that I feel many followers of Jesus have and that the church can fall victim to, okay? The losing mentality. How many of you have been on or have rooted for perpetually losing teams? I put both hands and my foot up, right? But, like, if, you know, you just know, like, if you are a Redskins fan, I see you, Steve. If you are a Cowboys fan, don't even talk about anything before, you know, because Cowboys, well, look what we did in the past. Yeah, I understand. That's the past. Y'all haven't won nothing since 95, okay? Just saying. The Jaguars, we have perpetually lost. We'll have one season where we're okay. But it's just like even, but not, but, but not even sports teams. Think about teams at work. So maybe you have a losing culture at your job. You have a losing culture in, 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 in what, whatever context, maybe in your family, because honestly the family is just a team unit, right? And, and, and what we can have is it seems like perpetually losing teams have a perpetually losing culture that it's just like inbred in them. And I mean, honestly, I think sometimes the Jaguars are cursed. I'm just like, what deal did the owner of the Jaguars make with Satan? I don't know. But it's but it, I mean but it just seems like no matter who the coach is, what happens? There's a perpetually losing culture, 
And, and what I have found out and, and seen that this losing mentality and losing culture isn't just in, in your jobs. It's not just within sports teams. This can be within followers of Jesus and even his church. And so today I want to talk to us about what Paul, what I believe is trying to get to people he loves. And he's trying to instill in them a you can't lose mentality. Now here's the thing. Whenever I talk about a losing culture, I, I, I think before we do that, we need to dive into, and I need to remind you of what as a follower of Christ and what the church is destined for. And that is that we were born to win. And I'm not trying to give you some rah-rah, you know, like, oh, we're, you're just winners, you're a snowflake, there's no one like you. Talk. I'm trying to tell you this is what your identity is right now as a follower of Jesus. And what Jesus himself said is the destiny for the church. So when I say win, I am not saying that there will not be moments in life where you will lose. Right? Because here's the thing. When I say you win, what I am saying is, is if you are on team Jesus, you, you have won because Jesus has won. And when, and when I say win, I'm talking about how when the game is over, when your game is over, when all the cards go back into the box and your eyes shut and your heart stops beating, as a follower of Jesus, you will win because you will spend eternity with God. You will eternally spend relationship with God, where it says in the book of Revelation, there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more injustice, but all that shall go because the Lord will be Lord's and he will be ruling and reigning and we will be under his care. That is what I'm talking about whenever I say win, because here's the bottom line, as a follower of Jesus, you will lose some battles, but you won't lose the war. You will lose some rounds, but you won't lose the match. You will lose. You, you will lose. And I know that's not sexy to say, but even Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. So what he's saying is, 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 is that you will experience losses, but you are not a loser. Because you will experience pain and discomfort and injustice and all of these things that are a byproduct of a broken world. But when it is all said and done, though you might have lost battles, you might have lost matches, you might have lost rounds, you will not lose in the, in the end. I don't know if you know this, but as Christians, we know the end of the story. That at the end of this book, the bottom line is Jesus wins. <laughs> he's going to rule. He's, he's, he's going to reign. So now as Christians... The struggle is to live in light of the victory we already have and to live up to the victory we already have in Jesus. Even Paul, in a different letter he, he wrote to a church that he also planted, he said this, Ephesians 2. He said, as for you, when he's talking about the church people, you were dead. Everyone say dead. You were a loser. <laughs> you, were, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now working those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And it says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him 
in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Let me translate that for you. Paul is saying you win because Jesus won if you're on team Jesus. I don't know if that's good news for you, but it should be. That should, e, that, you know, that should elicit some sort of clapping or, 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 or something. The, the fact that if you are on Team Jesus, you don't win because you're so great and because you're so awesome. You win because you're on Team Jesus. And because he won, he then gives you the victory as well. And the victory, Jesus defeated Satan, sin, and death, your three greatest enemies. Your three greatest enemies are not Bill Gates. It's not Donald Trump. It's not Joe Biden. It's not all of these people we make to be enemies. Your greatest enemies are Satan, sin, and death. And the scripture says Jesus, because of his death on the cross and subsequent resurrection, he now holds the key to death, hell, and the grave, and he has forever and eternally won. And as if you submit yourself to Jesus, you follow him, you receive him by grace through faith, he then passes that victory along to you to for where eternity you are with him. But that, like I said, that does not mean that we will experience losses. But what I'm trying to get into your mind and heart today is if you're on team Jesus, you are at the end of the day when it's all said and done, you are a winner. But it's not just you. Jesus even said about his church. Matthew chapter 6, 16, whenever Jesus was training his disciples and they were following him, he took this to this place called Caesarea Philippi, which is like the modern, which is like the Jesus day Las Vegas, where it's like what happens in Caesarea Philippi stays in Caesarea Philippi. Like, it was the city where people went to just forget their life and just indulge in pagan revelry, right? Like, they would go and just be crazy. And Jesus took them to the top of this mountain in Caesarea Philippi, where there was actually a, a site there that, that the actual city called the gates of hell. So even whenever he says, like, the, the, you know, and, and, and Jesus told his disciples on this rock I'll plant my church and the gates of hell won't even be able to stand against it what Jesus was at, was saying was it's not just the eternal hell it's this hell of the world we live in so whenever Jesus he brought them to this place where good Jewish boys do not go and he brought them and led them to this godless place and he stood on a rock overseeing a godless city and declared and told his disciples that on this rock, like this rock here, you guys, in this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. You know what he was declaring and trying to put in, in his disciples? This isn't gonna win. I'm gonna win. The church is gonna win. So how did these disciples who were good old Jewish boys take this Jesus message and go fearlessly into places that had never heard the gospel, boldly going and saying, I will die for this thing, because Jesus told them. And then they saw Jesus beat death. So then what did that do inside of him? This message must be legit and real. So they went boldly and courageously and declared and taught the victory that Jesus already has. And that's how we see the church actually get into the place where in some ways it overtook the Roman Empire. I'm telling you, why? Because Jesus was trying to get into his people. Y'all win. Y'all gonna win. And what I feel is in the church individually and what can be in the church corporately is this losing mentality. And that's what I came to target today. 
I'm going to give you three reasons why I think or how this has made its way into the church individually and corporately, practically. Then I'm going to dive into how Paul instructs us that we are going to win. The first way that I see harms losing teams and losing, in, in losing individuals is this word victimization. Can, can I step on some toes? <sighs> All right. If y'all got a problem with something that I say today, don't leave the church. Come and talk to me. Okay? You promise? Okay. Some of, some, some of you. But here's the, here's the thing. Victimization makes its way in, into the church individually and corporately whenever we don't want to take respo- responsibility for things that we have contributed to. Okay? So you have someone that's consistently deflecting, devaluing, doesn't want to take any responsibility for something they play a part in. So I believe this is what has happened in the church in the United States. So I'm going to give you one example. I want to explain it. And then I want to talk about how that idea of victimization has made its way in. So one of the things that I've heard Christians say a lot about, of, about our country and why it's gone to hell and why it's gotten so, so bad is they will reference when we took prayer out of schools, things went down the can. Right? I've heard plenty of people say it. And then let's get prayer back in schools. Now, I remember being in a church and law class in college, sitting, sitting there. And, you know, we're, we're, I say, you know, how's the church with the law, law the, the, the law with the church. And one of the things we went over was the Bill of Rights. And I remember reading the First Amendment. The First Amendment said that, that basically that essentially the government shall not favor one religion or say or, or inhibit that religion from being practiced. And I remember having this moment of like epiphany. Have you ever had one of those moments? Where I'm like, why are we striving so hard to be a Christian nation? When, we sh- when the... When the amendment says we shouldn't even favor one religion. And then I thought, why are we striving so hard to get prayer back in schools when it wasn't really prayer. It was forced prayer. And then I started thinking, as a Christian, you can pray in a school. You just can't force people. And then I thought of things that I had done as a youth pastor. And I was like, I've started Bible clubs in schools. Well, we've literally had church in schools, and we've invited people to these Bible clubs, and they've gotten saved. And I kind of had this, 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 this revelation in class, but, but, but even, even while I was preparing of, like, the church wants to blame prayer not being in schools instead of taking responsibility and saying maybe we haven't lived this thing how we should have. And so we, we want to blame the government. Well, it's their fault the church isn't growing. Are y'all hearing me? Is this making sense? It's basically saying because the church hasn't had the success it should have, because it's not growing, it's, it's, it's their, their, well, it's because of prayer in schools. And really what they're doing is instead of saying taking responsibility for your kids and ensuring they follow Jesus, and they are disciples. And they are just going in there and forcing people to pray, but they're going in there and being the hands and feet of Jesus. Instead of playing the victim card, are there things that we need to take responsibility for? 
that we have contributed to to the decline of the church. Because there, there's no doubt the church's influence in our culture is declining. The, the, and I mean, even among pastors, like I'm reading stats and stories with the pandemic, like there are pastors quitting at a astronomical historical rate. They're even concerned there's not enough there's not enough pastors being raised up now to even take over the churches that are that have specific that have specific openings nor do they feel a call to plant churches. So it can feel like there, like there is this losing mentality this was going but maybe the problem is not politics maybe the problem is the fact the church hasn't created a discipleship culture within its own. And we are victimizing ourselves and blaming instead of taking responsibility, instead of saying, well, they, how about we start saying, what could we have done better? Are you hearing me? And when we give up power, well, you are a victim when you give up your power, when you are powerless. And what I am saying is, as the church, if we're going to develop this, this winning call that Jesus said we have individually and corporately, we've got to stop playing. the Because y'all, do y'all, do y'all know the church grew in one of the most politically unstable times ever in the Roman Empire? They were not looking for political power to grow the church. Let me tell you what the church looked like, that the, that the historian Luke noted what the church was in in. in Acts chapter 2, this is what he says. All the believers were dev- uh, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, sharing in meals and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold property and possessions and shared money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. I don't see one thing there about the church growing because a certain political figure was in office or they had certain political rights. It was because of who they were and what they were doing and the kind of people that, that they were. Church does not need the government to grow. It does, it, does not need, it does not need politics to grow. If you are a Christian and you want to get involved in politics, praise God because we need Christians in politics. I'm not saying don't be involved. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying, but just make sure you have your hope set on what it needs to be set on instead of your hope in man-made ideas. Okay? Here's secondly, losing teams, lack of training. All y'all know and have team members that mail it in. And you can tell they are not as bought in and they do enough just to get by and just to say they're on the team instead of putting their all in all and training behind the scenes so they can shine in the light. And when, when, and when I look at the church, I say this all the time, it's not about trying, it's about training to be like Jesus. And I believe in many ways that the church has lost its sight and vision of training to be like Jesus and realizing there's gonna be discipline and disciplines to put into place to become a certain kind of person. Last, last though, losing, losing teams, they have, di- they have division. Meaning, they have two separate sets of what success is. So how many of you, and I mean, here's, here's the thing, right? When you have team members that want personal success and not team success, that's, di- that's division. And you know the team members that all they want to do is get the stats. All, the, all they want to do is get the sale. All, the, all they want to do is get the yards, make the hoop. And if there is not a team mentality of saying we are on the same vision, going for the same goal, we are trying to see, we're trying to get that trophy. We're trying to get that championship. When there is not alignment there, 
then that's when you have division. And I believe in the church, if we are candid, there are, there's so much division intentionally or unintentionally. Let me give you one example of that. In the United States, the mission statement essentially is this, life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness, which is awesome, it's great, I love this country, I'm thankful for it, I'm thankful for the freedoms and rights that we have, I'm not bashing it, but what I am saying is, is that what I believe in some, in some ways this mentality has led to is the American dream has led to consumerism, comfort, and convenience. That this is the vision. How can I get things the way I want them, how I want them, as quick as I want them, and we are literally being, being trained to be consumers. What can this do for me? What can that do for me? How can this make me better? How can we be, and, and essentially what we become is a group of people who, who are persistent self-maximizers. And comfort and convenience. And here's the thing, thank God we didn't have to ride to church today in horse and buggy. I'm not saying that all sources of comfort and conveniences are bad, but what I am saying is as followers of Jesus, we have to interpret the country we live in through, through the culture and through the call of the kingdom of God and Jesus. So when you have a country that, that we live in that is, that is pushing consumerism, comfort, and convenience with a kingdom vision of Jesus that is all about generosity, risk and sacrifice, I think we can see what happens when you have people in the church that claim to be a part of the kingdom of God that haven't been discipled away from consumerism, comfort, and convenience and are still there and come into the kingdom of God where it's about joy or where it's about generosity, risk, and sacrifice, then that creates division. Is this making sense? where we can have die vision, and what does this do? It inhibits the church of its power. It inhibits you of your power as a follower of Jesus because you've got these competing visions. When you walk out here, I know the messages are strong and many and loud and trying to conform you to its way. And that's why if you are not intentionally following Jesus, then you are unintentionally or intentionally not following him. And that's why Jesus was so, you, you, you can't serve money in God. Like, you just can't do it. You can't, like, he said, there are going to be some. That, wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many will find it. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and a few will find it. Jesus knew his way was going to be hard. But here's the thing. I, we've got to be aware that there is a fight for your vision. The kingdom of the world, of the United States, that, that we're thankful for this country, but it's got a system, a way of doing things. You've got to make sure that you understand that if the church is going to move forward, you're going to move forward in your walk with Christ. It's going to be because you're living in the kingdom. Now, do you see what happens whenever people try to take these two kingdoms and push them together? Have you all seen the byproduct of this? Then, then people say, well, if you're not this political party, you're... You're not even a Christian. My God, what have we come to? Are y'all hearing me? And why I believe we've developed a, lo a losing mentality is because we've got division, low training, and victimization. And if we're going to see things move, there's some things that Paul tells us today about winning 
that we need to get into our DNA. All right, we're going to start here. We're going to dive into our text. we got 15 minutes. You all ready to roll? Let's go. All right, Paul says this, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I've been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. Do you know what Paul is saying here? He's saying, I've won in the past, but I'm wondering if I'm going to win in the future. He said, I've been bold in the past. And I hope that I'll be bold in the future. You know, one of the hardest things to do for teams to, to do is to win back-to-back championships. Why? Because you did it in the moment. You did it. You, you did the work. Now you've got to find the motivation to do it again. And that can be even and harder. And what Paul is saying here, I've, I've won in the past. I've been faithful in the past. But am I going to win going forward? Have you ever wondered that? How are you going to continue? Like some of you, and you know, I know me, there was a situation. I was 20 years old, following Christ for two years, was in Bible college, and I had this thought of how do I know that I'm going to continually follow Jesus? Because I was scared, because temptation is strong. I've seen other people fail. And I remember asking this pastor, I, I was like, hey, how do I know that I'm going to keep on following Jesus? How do I know I'm going to continually be saved? Has anyone else wondered that? Have you ever wondered how are you going to keep being a faithful, hus- a faithful husband? Have you ever wondered how you're going to be a faithful spouse? Have you, ever, have you ever wondered how you're going to continually be financially responsible? Maybe you have been successful up to this point, and you're wondering how are you going to keep on doing it? And whenever I asked this pastor, I said, how do I know that I'll continually follow Jesus? And what he told me I thought was so powerful, and even what I see in a thread of teams that win and individuals that win. He, he told me, John, if you focus on serving Jesus today, today, Days will become weeks, and weeks will become months, and months will become years, and years will become decades. He said, John, focus on following Jesus today. You even see here coaches, like, you know, they don't ask them, so what do you think about this opponent, blah, blah, blah. They're like, we're focused on practice today. So what do you think about, about, Tom, about Tom Brady? Blah, blah. Well, do you know what, man? He's a scumbag. But no, I'm just kidding. But, but we're focused on... <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you love Tom Brady, we love you. Um, but, you know, he, like good coaches, are focused, we're focused on practice today. We're not focused on the opponent on Sunday. We're focused on practice today. And one of the things that I believe we're going to develop this, this, a winning attitude culture individually and corporately, is like you've got to focus not on wondering if you're going to do it in the future or worrying about what you haven't done in, in the past. You focus right here, right now, today and say do you know what i'm gonna focus on being a faithful husband today i'm gonna focus on being a good employee today i'm gonna focus on keeping my mental health in a stable place today i'm gonna focus on not cussing someone out today i mean i've never had that problem like i'm gonna focus on whatever you want Whatever you are wondering, you've been faithful in the past, wondering if you're going to be able to continue it, focus on that today. Jesus talked about the power of today so much in his teachings. Matthew 6, he was like, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat and all of this stuff. He said, because tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Focus on today. Even when he was talking about how you should pray, he, he said, pray, give us today our daily bread. 
Not our bread for months and years and weeks and decades. He said, ask for enough strength, grace, wisdom, and physical food for today. Some of y'all, y'all's perspectives need to sift. Because here's the thing, the Lord says this, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Do you know what that means? Plan. Don't, like, don't be a, well, you know. No, plan, but at the same time write it in pencil. And saying, Lord, this is what I believe you've called me to, but today you direct my steps. I'm going to plan a course, but today you direct my steps. Today, y'all. Today. Not tomorrow, not weeks, not decades. Let's focus on on today. Secondly, Paul, Paul said this. He, he goes into, he says, for to me, now remember the context here. Paul doesn't know what his life is going to happen because he's in prison and he doesn't know. Like he literally has no idea. He, he could die. He could get killed. He could die in prison. He's not sure. But he says, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. What powerful words, huh? But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So it's like, so I really don't know which is better. I think there's one more scripture there, is there? Yes, there should be one more scripture. Is there more? There's not. Well, I'm going to read more. It's fine. 23 and 24 say, say this. I am torn between two desires. I long to go and be this Christ, which would be better by far for me. He's, he says, I'm even torn between whether to live or die. You know what? I mean, Paul is saying it's, it's, it's a good thing to die. His, his words, not mine. And what he's saying is he feels this tension of, like, man, like, I could, I could die and be with Jesus, or I could, he could keep me here and I could... Live for Jesus. I don't know which is better. And really what, what I hear Paul saying is, he's saying, winning teams focus on the main thing. He's saying, if I live, it's Jesus. If I die, it's Jesus. Bottom line, it's Jesus. That's the main thing. Can't you, like, what I, what I garner from Paul here is he's saying, literally, you can't lose. Not saying you won't lose battles, but you won't win the war. He's like, if you are living, breathing, you have breath in your lungs, your heart is still beating, you can do work for Jesus. You can become like Jesus. If you die, you be with Jesus. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And I didn't stutter that, right? <laughs> it's the main thing. And good teams continually be, like, don't lose the main thing, y'all. We're going for this championship. We're going for this championship. Even when teams have terrible losses, let's not lose sight of the vision. And here's the thing. That, that's why I think it's so important. As I'm saying, you're winners, you're winners. What I'm not saying is, is to dismiss your defeats. What I'm not saying is to not feel them, is to not grieve over losses, is to not feel. I'm not telling you to deflect your feelings or deflect what you're walking through or make light of your losses. I'm not telling you that, but what I am saying, interpret your temporary losses through the lens of your eternal victory in Christ. Interpret your temporary losses through the lens of your eternal victory in 
Christ. So a small example of this. Paul was actually writing, and he was writing to these people that had experienced death. And they had experienced death because they, they were being persecuted. And what Paul said, he said this, when you grieve, like when you grieve losses, you actually grieve with hope. So he was saying, don't, like, he's not saying don't grieve, you shouldn't grieve. If you grieve, you're not a Christian. But he was saying is as you grieve, you actually grieve differently because you grieve through, and you interpret your grieving through the lens of your eternal hope in Christ Jesus. Meaning that as Christians, we interpret losses differently. We process them differently. That we see them as, yes, we will experience so much hurt, so much heartache, so many gut-wrenching losses, personally, individually, financially, mentally, psychologically, physically, like in all of these areas of life that feel like we're losing. But what makes us different as Christ followers is we interpret our pain and our losses through the lens of the eternal victory that Jesus has. And though we're crying tears now, there will be a point where there will be no more tears. As we experience injustices here, there will be a point where Jesus will reign and rule and right all the wrongs. So now we live in light of this eternal victory, and then we become carriers and, and, and physical presences of hope, so then we can be the hands and feet of Jesus and representation of him as we find security in this eternal hope. And as we interpret our losses, then we can go and use these losses for God's glory and for our growth. Because some of you, a loss has defined you. A loss has defined you. Many losses, man. I mean, we could go through the list. A job loss, a dream loss, a child loss. And now you're interpreting your whole life through that loss. You even deem yourself a loser. And that's what breeds and feeds into Though you are a Christian that loves Jesus and when you hear people be happy and victorious, even in worship, instead of shouting, it's like literally the cloud that hangs over your life is a loss that has defined you. You're very aware of things you didn't get growing up. You're very aware of people you didn't have in your life growing up. And so you've just got a loss that is perpetually around you. And what I believe the Lord wants to actually do today is to switch it to where you see the eternal victory in Christ defines you. That's your identity. That's who you now are. And now a loss that you had that is real and legit and true, that is not, God, God's not saying just to throw it off. It's not real. It's not legit. It's, no, you need to feel it, grieve it, sit in it. But then also, too, what leads to your healing and restoration is when you know and see that Christ has eternally won. And even as Ephesians said, we, we, we are raised with Christ. In other words, we are brought up to where he is. And that's what the process of our life is. It's us becoming who we already are and have now become because of the finished work and resurrection work and victorious work of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that a loss would not define you, but you would interpret your temporary losses through the lens of your eternal victory in Christ. Is this helping somebody today? Is this helping you see yourself differently? I pray that this will help you when you experience losses this year in your best year ever. When you, I'm not saying not if, but when you experience them. My prayer, a growth point for you, will be now interpreting them through the lens of your eternal victory. And what's this going to do? It's going to breed a winning culture.
It's going to breed a winning mentality. Not that, you know, when something bad happens, oh, it's all great, everybody, woohoo. You know, it's like, no, you grieve with hope. You might go through a season of grieving, a season of sorrow. The book of Psalms gives us permission to feel our pain. Gives us permission to feel and wrestle with what we feel. But also, too, as Christians, we do it differently because we have somebody that has said, I'm going to make every right, I'm going to make every wrong right. Every tear is going to be gone. Last, lastly, winning teams and what we see Paul, Paul saying, winning teams play for each other. I mean, have you ever been on that team, man, where there is just a unity and synergy with the team because they are you know they're not playing for selfish gain. They're not playing to get stats. They're not playing, playing for selfish accolades. You can tell they're, the reason they're playing, the reason they're training, the reason they're studying, the reason they're putting it in isn't for selfish gain. It's for so the team can win because they've developed a trust and an accountability with people within the squad, within the team, and they can trust each other and know they're just not playing for themselves. They're playing for each other. And that's what I love Paul says here. He says this, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be better by far for me, but for whose sakes? Your sakes. He's saying, church, for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive. Why is God gonna keep me breathing? Why is God gonna keep me here? So I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he's going through me. Paul is saying the reason why God's going to keep me breathing, the reason why, God, why God's going to keep me here, breath in my lungs, is not for me. Philippian church, it's for you. God's going to keep me here for you. And I believe the church will always lose if we're always divided. If we're doing things for selfish gain, if we're doing things for a personal relationship with Jesus, that's what we've made this all into, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which there is an aspect of that, that Jesus saves us personally and then calls us to a family, corp, corp, a family corporately. To where it is, it is not the church is a side chick. The church is some sort of side gig that we go to whenever we have time and want to, and if it's convenient, it's like, no, we're born into a family. We are saved from in individually and then called to something greater than ourselves corporately. And what I'm saying is, is if God has you at LifeHouse, you are here not just for your personal growth, but you are here for somebody else. You are here. Your growth is going to actually grow somebody else. You being involved is going to grow some. Some is going to grow somebody else. What Paul's saying here is God's keeping me alive. I believe God has brought you all here, whoever who calls our church home, not just for you. He's brought you here for somebody else. And when the church plays for each other, when the church says we're just not here to develop a personal relationship with Jesus, but we come together and say we're to called together to build the church that Jesus died for, We're going to read next week that that is what Paul gets into, the power of unity and synergy and a people that are not fighting against each other. They're fighting together. And there's power in that. Would you stand up with, with me, church? My heart today is for you to develop a winning mindset, a winning heart, not that you won't lose, but to know you are winning when you focus on today. 
You keep the main thing the main thing. You live in, you can be like Jesus. There's work for you to do for Jesus. You die, you're with Jesus. It's all good, baby. And then last, man, we play live for each other. This is what a winning culture, a winning team, a winning church looks like. Why, y'all? Because Jesus has won. That's why whenever we come and worship, we're just proclaiming the victory he already has. Whenever we come together, we're just proclaiming the victory. When, when we receive communion together, which we are going to do here soon, what we are saying is Jesus has won. The victory. He's, he was broken so you could be made whole. He shed his blood so you could be made right with him. It's a symbolic act of victory. He has won. And as the church comes together and we develop this, yeah, we have losses, but he's won. I've won. Now it says, now you're living up to who you already are instead of taking your whole life and striving to be somebody. You already are. And that's because of what Jesus did for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Right now, you need to receive the victory of Christ. Maybe you say, John, you have not received that victory. You've gone to church, you have attended, and you have done a few, you know, you but you've never actually accepted the Lord as being Lord of your life, as seeing him as the victorious king. And of you saying, I'm joining your team, I'm repenting of the sin that I, that, that, that I have, and I'm turning towards you, and I'm following you. If you've never made that decision, that line of demarcation, that line in the sand, I believe today is your day. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, just creating a time of privacy. When I count to three, if that's you, I just want you to say yes. You don't have to shout it out. You can say it quietly within your heart. You can shout it out if you want to. We've had people yell it out, whatever. Just, I believe that when you say yes, something supernaturally happens where it's you're opening the door of your heart to let God in and to take control. So right now, when I count to three, if that's you, just say yes. Ready, one, two, three. This is what we're gonna do, church. We're gonna pray with those that said yes today. And we're just gonna, honestly, when, when we pray, I'm gonna take your hand and put it in Jesus' hand. And I believe that something supernatural is going to happen in your life. Would you repeat this prayer right after me? Jesus, I welcome you into my heart, into my life. You are sovereign, and yet you welcome me to be friends with you. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross in my place and for my sin, and rising and being victorious over Satan, sin, and death. And Jesus, because you've won, I can win, so I commit myself to you and receive love and grace today. In your name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us next Sunday online or in person. For service times, visit LifehouseNN.com.